Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Uh, my name is Sam McCool. I'm founder of A Higher Branch and your host for this podcast. And today I'm really, really excited to uh, catch up again, not just for this podcast, but catch up again with uh, Mark Bunn, who was an incredible speaker at our Upgrade Your Life event in 2019. Uh, you've studied uh, Ayurvedic medicine. You're a researcher when it comes to health. Um you are also um, a meditation coach, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. So, Mark, when it comes to nutrition, uh, you said that there's four things we take in. once food for fuel, air, sunshine, and water. Okay, so um, we can't survive for longer than three minutes without air. So does that mean it's the most important uh, nutrient that we take into our body? And I have heard of some uh, yogis in India that can survive without food and water and they supposedly get their nutrition from air. Is that just a myth or mm. what is that all about? Um, and what can we learn from that? Breathinarians, I think they Is that what they call them? Okay, yeah. yes. So, uh, um, well, yeah, and no, I think there's – well, there's my philosophy is there's some truth to uh, everything. Um, but I think, I think it's fairly self-evident that – most of us living an active life need uh, need food to live, so um, I don't think we just survive on on air. But it does, um, I think, just um, promotes this understanding how important air is. Okay, and it's not just something. There's always two levels. It's not just something that keeps us alive. Yes, there's that level of you know. Yes, we can survive in life, but we all always want to go to the next level and not just survive, but thrive. And so the quality of that air that comes in that we've spoken about in terms of, you know, nasal breathing rather mm. than mouth breathing, um, air that's moving rather than sort of stagnant in our homes and offices can help elevate it from just, you know, we're alive, you know, we're conscious, but actually living the life and having the health and wellness. So you can eat really well, you can get plenty of sunshine, you can drink good quality water, but if you're not breathing properly, it's a chink in your armour, isn't it? It's sort of, mm. it's a dent on your... Um, on your energy yeah um, yeah so how do you uh, breathe from your diaphragm because you said your diaphragm is there as a it's the muscle for breathing yeah but most people are shallow breathing and i know uh if you're sitting on a, a laptop on your phone driving thinking uh if you actually stop and notice you notice that you're shallow breathing you're not mm. really deep breathing from your diaphragm so how do you breathe from your diaphragm and can you explain to us how do you know whether you're engaging your diaphragm when you eat, uh, breathing, yeah, and I, I'm now aware of it, and I, uh, I do it in meetings if I'm switching off and I'm thinking, well, my breathing's shallow. I return to the breath and beautiful. engage. So, how does that work? Uh, can you yeah. explain to us? Well, again, it beautifully illustrates this principle we started with that that everything in our body is innate or natural and so breathing we are designed to nasal breathe we're called what's called obligate nasal breathers and in my seminars i get someone up on stage who's just had a baby you yes. know, whoever's in the audience who's just most recently had a baby and i get them up and i ask them you know boy or girl what's their name and you remember when they came out of hospital they're in mum or dad's arms how are they breathing and they'll say oh their mouth's closed and their little tummies rising and falling Yes, relaxed, that's right. I remember peace. that. Yes, yeah. yes. And then I say, and what happens when little Johnny or Jenny gets stressed? You know, their calling would lose the game or manly, whatever it is. <laughs> and they say, well, they start to cry. And so what happens when we cry? We take in air through the mouth because it's a yes. stressful situation. Okay. And then mum or dad comes up and they calm little Johnny or Jenny down. It's yes. all right. And then the stress goes, the mouth closes, and the little tummy rises and falls again. So kids... They're just innate. No one's told them how to breathe. You know, they didn't get a manual. It's just that's the way we're designed. And so as we get older, we start to work and we boyfriends and girlfriends and fall off our bike and we get to the workforce and we're under pressure. Then we start to get conditioned to mouth breathe because we're under stress, we're under pressure. So breathing is a reflection of what's going on mentally and emotionally. Absolutely it is. Yep. So it's yeah. intimately tied to this 
stress response. You know, prehistoric analogy, bear in the woods, got to fight the bear, sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, or run for your life, okay? And so we switch into mouth breathing, which is perfectly valid for that situation, emergency survival response. We don't have many of those. We don't have many of those in our modern world. We think we do and we get conditioned to it, but Mm. in reality we shouldn't. And so breathing, traditionally the Eastern understanding or the great sages and the yoga teachers tell us that we can actually get control back over our life and our physiology and our response to stressful situations by doing exactly what you're asking, controlling the breath. And the way we do that is just, again, attention. Attention's the first step for everything. Where the mind goes, the body flows. Or the, as the Hawaiians say, where energy where attention goes, energy flows. Yep. So just putting the attention on our breathing, number one, sitting up straight, putting the hands on the abdomen, abdomen area mm-hmm. and just shutting the mouth and just breathing in through the nose and just allowing the air to come into a nice, slow, even rhythm. And when we breathe incorrectly, the stomach feels as if it's protruding. So the hands will actually come away. When we breathe in. From the sp- when we breathe in. So I always make the joke, it's the exact opposite of what you witness most guys doing, particularly when they're walking down at a beach or something, or there's pretty girls around. You know, they breathe in and their stomach goes in at the same time. So this is not... <laughs> That's the, the opposite. That's the opposite, yeah. <laughs> okay, yep. So when we breathe in, the stomach actually protrudes. Should protrude. Actually, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's we're, as if breathing down into our belly. Now, we don't literally, but that sense of breathing into our bellies allows the oxygen or the prana to go deep into the lungs. Now, I know the American uh, Defence Force, uh, the mm-hmm. Army and Navy SEALs, they utilise what's called box breathing, which is four seconds in, hold for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, hold. And they do this as a cycle and they it's diaphragmatic as well. Mm-hmm. So they teach them in battle how to uh, shut down their stress response so they can be a lot calmer through this. So again, Beautiful. this is modern science now confirming what you know, ancient Ayurvedic wisdom has said thousands yep. of and years. And that's exactly what the ancient warriors in Ayurvedic times were taught. They were taught exactly that same technique. To Through calm the nose, their nervous system. Yeah, down. use the diaphragm because the diaphragm, when we breathe in using the diaphragm, when we actually breathe out is just as important because it's the exhalation. When we breathe out, we actually constrict slightly the stomach muscles. Okay, In Ayurveda, they often call it what they call ujjayi pranayama. It's a technique where you constrict the abdominal muscles and it makes a slight... Um, sound at the back of the throat like oh yes yes yep. and when that happens when the stomach muscles constrict the diaphragm lifts up and it massages the base of the heart where the vagus nerve lives and the vagus nerve is what stimulates parasympathetic nervous system we spoke about this earlier parasympathetic nervous system is the exact opposite of the fight or flight response Heart rate goes down, breath rate goes down, everything calms down. Okay, So this is actually yes. stimulated by proper breathing, which is just as much the exhalation coming from the abdominals as the inhalation. So the exhalation coming from the abdominals raises the diaphragm up to tickle the, the vagus nerve. Massages the vagus nerve, which is the, heart. the base of the heart. Yep. And... That engages, uh, well, that triggers our parasympathetic nervous system. I've been reading a lot about the vagus nerve. Mm. Uh, Is that the amygdala part of the brain? Is that different, something different altogether? The um, vagus nerve connects from the brain to the uh, the, uh, gut. Is that right? It's the only thing that does. Connection between brain and gut, and it's very fundamental to, as we said, this type of metabolism, you know, so we can... Metabolized two ways, fight or flight, stress response, which is our survival one, which is great short term every now and then, but, you know, when the mother-in-law comes over, but for everyday activity, (laughs) not so good. We want to be more calm, more rested. And the ultimate is what the the ancients called the eye of the hurricane. 
You know, life is busy. There's activity. There's a whirlwind of things to do. But at the centre of the hurricane is the eye, which is calm and silent. And this is what top-level performers do. You know, what separates top athletes from mediocre athletes or top business people from so-so business people is they don't go and lie on the couch or, you know, sit in the hammock and just, you know, life's too busy and active. They're dynamic. They're busy. They're making decisions but they just do it in a more calm or focused manner, which enables them to maintain that performance for longer periods. It reminds me of something that uh, a yoga teacher once said in a class, and she called it being actively calm and calmly active. Mm, beautiful. That's what, uh, I, that's what I remembered when you said that. And I, I'm glad you used um, uh, that analogy also to apply to uh, leadership and people in the corporate world because we've got to see ourselves as corporate athletes. Yep. And nice. uh, one of the key qualities you need to have as a leader is to be calm under pressure. Mm. So people look towards you uh, and say, well, our leader's calm, yep. you know, rational, yep. and that shows strength. Yep. And that's the eye of the storm. And it's knowing how to tap into that mm. because any, anyone can lose their heads, right? I think it was Rudyard Kipling in that uh, poem, if if you can keep your head when all yeah. about you are losing theirs. Nice. So I, I just remembered that as well. Mm. So the breath is a very powerful way yep. to uh, tap into that leadership quality. Absolutely. Whether yep. on the football field or in the boardroom. Yep. yep. And that's why exercise is so important for corporate athletes, high-level business people, because if you can breathe that way just sitting at your desk or while you're watching the television or a red light fantastic really good but if you can integrate it into more high levels of activity then that transitions or integrates into when we're at work and the idea is when we're at work we are busy we're dynamic we're dealing with multiple things so the more we condition it in exercise and high level exercise the more it then transitions into our work day so we get to the end of the work day still done the same amount of work the same amount of meetings but we just don't have that fatigue at the end of the day we don't have that sort of disconnect between mind and body we're more calm or more rested less recovery required so so if somebody's listening to this now they've probably put their hands on their tummy yeah. and they've thought <laughs> okay what if they are breathing the wrong way mm. how can they reverse that because if you're subconsciously doing something it's very hard to break what's in the subconscious you've got to yeah you know, reverse it. So what can you do to reverse the way, I mean, being mindful, you, you mentioned step one's been yep. bringing your attention to it, but what other ways? Are, are you saying exercise? When you're exercising, you're, bre- you're naturally in that breathing like that? Uh, not naturally, but the way to do it is just very gradually. In Ayurveda, they have a prescription for changing lifestyle practices. You know, often people today want to change things overnight. You know, the old cold turkey scenario. Ayurveda says it's better to make gradual changes. You know, you change about 25% of the behaviour you want to change in the first week and another 25% over the next couple of weeks. And then, so it's gradual. So it becomes a lifetime technique. And that's a Harvard uh, uh, business principle as well. Minimal change. Yeah. Yeah. One change at a time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So with breathing, two things to do. One is just whenever you're seated. So again, you are at the traffic light in the car or you're at your office desk and you're just realising you're not breathing well, go through that, what we've just done, sitting up straight, relax, nasal breathe, nice and deep, extend the exhalation and just do it as often as you can. Feeling your stomach expand when you breathe in. Yes, and And then feel it slightly constrict when you breathe out. Nice, slow exhalation. And then just do that as often as they can in a rested stage. state. Yes. And then in any chance to exercise, so again, just walking up the street, walking to the bank, going, taking the dog for a walk, or even in high-level exercise, just use a warm-up scenario where you don't try and go to your exercise intensity straight away. Just say walking really comfortable, really slowly with that same nasal breathing. And then pick up the intensity slowly. As soon as you can't maintain that comfortable nasal breathing, just slow down, pick it up, slow down, pick it up. And over time, over a few weeks, a couple of months, 
then most people can generally do 80 to 90% of what they previously did mouth breathing, stress response, but with more relaxed nasal breathing. Okay. Most people are living in their head, mm. so they might mindfully start it, uh, but they need triggers. So, you know, a driving could be a trigger. Yeah. So in your quiet moments. But most of us are always living in our head, dis- distracted, thinking about uh, the past and then pro- uh, processing the past to plan the future. We're never really present. Mm. So this could be a nice segue, actually, to get into um, meditation. Cool. Is meditation really the antidote to living in your head and being in constant distraction mode? Uh, I, I read recently that... Uh, the left brain is always processing the past to plan the future. Uh, so when you're living in your left brain, and there's nothing wrong with that, but most of us are living 90% of the time in that left brain, the right brain is uh, concerned with the present, and that's what brings you back to the present moment, and that's where you go into a state of flow, your, your creativity flows, and where your, your greatest ideas come from. Um, and... Meditation now has scientifically been proven to engage engage both parts of the brain equally mm. um, through something called the corpus callosum. Awesome. Oh, you, you know about it? Okay, great. Can you tell us a little bit about that then? Yeah. Well, it didn't didn't doesn't surprise me. So, uh, your your knowledge of both Ayurvedic medicine and uh, science is uh, one of the reasons why you're here, Mark. Because <laughs> you know a lot of us in the corporate world feel like, well, when people start talking too much about Ayurvedic medicine and ancient wisdom, it's a little bit yeah. too airy fairy. But Correct. when it's supported by science. It, You've you got to start taking notice, yeah? Absolutely. So tell us about the corpus callosum and what is it? How do we, how do we thicken it? <laughs> yeah. Well, interesting, um, the latest modern science is that we had this understanding traditionally that you had the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere and they were sort of like these two whole separate parts of the brain that did these two completely different things. But, of course, traditionally, anciently, they understood that um, the brain works ideally as one holistic unit yes there's two sides of the brain but we can't just sort of put a line in the middle and think of them as these two separate things they both work together ideally and so what's happened our whole western way of living think of the last 300 years of western civilization we have actually divided mind and body you know mind was separate from body physical and mental spiritual and Yes. Living our life. And yes. so we've done similar with the brain. But that's actually leads to a lot of um, less than ideal functioning. And so the brain's exactly the same. The brain is designed to function as one holistic unit. And so what meditation does, and interesting that meditation can mean so many different things today, but the analogy I use is it's like physical health. 20 years ago, when we spoke of physical health, we spoke of aerobic fitness, basically. It meant you went for a run or you went to a, for a jog. You know, the heart and lungs, basically. Yeah, you got physical with uh, Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, exactly. That was it. Yeah, Jane Fonda. <laughs> and Jane Fonda, yeah. yes. So now we know that aerobic fitness is just one component of physical health. You've got to do strength training, yes. you know, get strong muscles. That's really important. You've also got to do flexibility training you know keep supple and flexible so yoga and so physical health is like three prongs of a tripod so mental health is the same so meditation and neuroscience recently has shown this too that there's three distinct types of meditation one is more the focused attention where we focus on something might be our affirmations or we visualize something so it has its benefit in that realm there is what's called open monitoring which is more where we are dispassionate about thoughts. We witness them. This is what predominantly is mindfulness. Again, the research shows really good in terms of like a circuit breaker. So we're stressed in our day. We be more mindful. We come back into the body or the breathing, creates that circuit break. Stress comes down, less anxiety. And then there's what traditionally was understood as um, transcending meditation or transcendental meditation, which is transcend means to go beyond so rather than even thinking thoughts or being mindful it's like the ground state 
And so a lake which is choppy or busy like most people's minds today, you know, there's all this activity. If we drop a pebble into the lake when it's active and turbulent, there's no ripples, okay? But if we can calm the lake down so the lake's completely calm, then we drop the pebble in, which is, might be our desire or our affirmation or what we want, then the ripples are really, really clear. So having all three of these as a, like a toolbox of mental health creates the best effects for the brain. And what the science shows is that when we start to do this, we transcend and we're more mindful, is that the brain functions holistically. Left and right speak to each other. All the different parts of the brain are coherent and communicate with each other. So we get what's called EEG coherence. And this is really what the latest science is going to be the forefront for business success because it's all our decision-making, our flow states, our, our prefrontal cortex, which they call the, the CEO of the brain, starts to come online and function with all the other, other parts. So, yeah, meditation is really, really powerful. Wow, it's a superpower. Superpower, yeah. And, again, it's this principle that we started the whole podcast with, rest and activity. And so the reason so many high performers now – Meditate. Tim Ferriss, you know, we've spoken about a lot. His morning ritual, 20 minutes TM, five minutes mindfulness. I'm sure he does his affirmations or visualizes things. It's like the absolute key because we can't just do more and more activity. What the brain needs is like every other organ and tissue. It needs periods of deep rest, deep silence, because that's where it cleans house. That's where it calibrates. That's where it comes back out into activity with more focus, clearer thinking, better decision-making, more broad sort of comprehension of things, and we get into these sort of flow states or zone states, which is what we're designed to live with. Awesome. A lot of these um, uh, you know, pieces of wisdom and tips, because uh, a, a lot of what you're saying can be applied in our you know, daily routine. Mm. Uh, you know, when you think about it, like uh, sleep, sunshine, meditation – and journaling we'll talk about later and how we eat and going hungry and being true to our type. If you compound all these things, you could turn yourself into a superhuman, really, with, mm. you know, like incredible performance. Mm. And for a lot of the type A personalities in the corporate world who want to, you know, dominate in their industry, outperform their competitors, really can't ignore their stuff. It's not about subject matter expertise anymore. You know, the most successful people 20, 30 years ago had all the information and they were the smartest. But now the most successful people are not the smartest. It's the people that know how to uh, conserve and boost their, uh, you know, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual energies and have them yep. all humming at the same time. Yep. And it's very powerful because as you're speaking, I'm sort of uh, adding just another hack or another ritual, another habit that, you know, I, you can stack your days with. Mm. And I view the day as a life and death experience every day. So we, we are born every morning and we die at night because we go into our subconscious, right? Mm. So every day is the birth of a, of a new possibility. Yep, nice. And yeah, that's, that's how I've always looked at it, which means you can hit the reset button every morning. Uh, so a lot of the – so I think based on what you said, meditation has to be an absolute must ritual, you know, every morning and every night. If you, if you are taking your performance seriously, yeah? If you want, you know, I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and goes, oh, yeah, I'm going for average today, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone says, I want to, you know, I want to hit my peak. I want to hit peak performance. I want to outperform. But then they don't know how to. Mm, yeah. And, you know, what you're telling us is the how to. Yeah. And it needs effort. Mm. Uh, so early on in my career when I first took up meditation, I said, oh, you know, it's too hard, can't do it, give it up, right? <laughs> what I didn't realise, it's a practice, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And as we said, there's different, different modalities and types that we need this toolbox. I always love the analogy. Um, I did different forms of meditation and have throughout my life. But um, as I said, I've become a teacher of um, TM or Transcendental Meditation. And the guy who brought that to the West, um, his name is Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and I've always loved his analogy. It's one of my favourite analogies ever. And it always, I reminded of when I see your higher branch um, um, logo, which is, of course, a tree. 
But unlike most trees, you have the roots shown underneath the tree, which is really powerful. Because Maharishi says that um, if we want to grow a tree, a healthy, strong, robust tree with strong branches, healthy leaves, beautiful, abundant fruit, we actually don't water the branches or the leaves or the fruit. The tree would die if we did that. We could race around yes. like most people do in our Western world. You know, this tree here and this branch here and water, you shine up the leaves and, and the tree will die. But if we just spend a couple of minutes a day watering the root, even though we can't see it with our eyes, yes. the roots nourish the whole tree. So he says, water the root to enjoy the fruit. And I think it's just such a beautiful analogy. That. And that's yeah. what you were leading into with this whole idea because we've got to the end of the information age. We've had the agricultural age, industrial age, technological age, computer age, and we're just coming to the end of the information age. There's an infinite supply of information that we can't process. It's impossible. What processes it is consciousness or what we can't actually see and touch and feel. And that's what meditation accesses if we can sort of transcend, get beyond all the information, then we enliven that consciousness and that's what the ancient teachers tell us, that what you were talking about, that we are designed to have a, an amazing life and to have use our faculties of sense perception and intuition and extrasensory perception more than what we currently do and that's how we do that, by accessing consciousness, enlivening it and then... Uh, and you, yeah. at, at Upgrade Your Life, you, you mentioned that. You, mm. and now I recall you said we are stepping into the consciousness, age mm. of consciousness. Is that that's the next stage? Absolutely. And it's the final stage because there's nothing more fundamental than consciousness. If you tap into that infinite you know, wisdom mm. uh, that is pure consciousness, yeah. um, uh, it opens up a source of creativity. With, uh, whatever your work, whatever your industry you can mm. tap into that infinite source of wisdom and know how to make the right decisions uh, intuitively. Yeah, you know? and that's what Maharishi actually outlined, that that's, it's really the doorstep we're on to what he called higher states of consciousness. 99% of our population, even more, live our whole lives in three states of consciousness. We go to work in waking state of consciousness. At night, we go into sleep state of consciousness. We have some dreams, so we go into dream state of consciousness, and then we wake up the next morning and do the whole thing again. Yes. But these specific meditation techniques of transcendence particularly, we experience, and this is all scientific now, University of Los Angeles, 60s and 70s, showed that we access a completely unique fourth state of consciousness, unlike anything else. Waking, through meditation. Dreaming, through this transcendence. Yep, we experience that. And then over time... That develops. So all those qualities of deeper rest, creativity, energy, broad comp comprehension start to integrate into our waking state and so that we live, it's like a becomes like a permanent zone state. And that's what these ancient teachers have told us that, you know, these fleeting states of high level performance where we're not stressed, we get into the flow or an athlete gets into the zone. They're not meant to be these sporadic once-in-a-lifetime experience, that's meant to be the permanent reality, 24 days or, you know, 24 hours a day. Wow, that would um, be an incredible would be state cool, to yeah. be. And I've got to say, I'm a long way from yeah. that, but that's the, uh, that's the vision. Well, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of the um, CEOs and founders of all these incredible startups now mm. attribute a lot of their, um, their creative uh, you know, genius to mm. uh, that state of consciousness that they step into with uh, transcendental meditation I've, yeah. I've heard that time and time again so meditation is their superpower they're not mm. so it's not just about the physical of eating well and exercising and mm. you know sleeping uh, when you tap into that you can come up with ideas to change humanity you know mm. the, the guy that you know designed the aura ring is mm. one of those guys there's a yeah. lot of startups now in america and the founders they're meditating like monks, you know, they eat yep. like athletes, they train like titans. And Absolutely. This, this is who we're competing with now. You know, yeah. There's a new breed, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and the beauty of it, I think, is that when we get in touch with that level, and you touched on it before, how we, we've got to 
use these things to be able to stay competitive and to stay at the top of our game. But what beautifully comes in, and I always come back to your, um, you know, sort of the, the tree of life analogy, is that it also brings in a sense of community and connection with others, which I think is also going to be a big frontier that's coming now. So we actually lose some of this dogged competitiveness to be the best and we actually start working in harmony with others to create new businesses and to sort of help yes. society and so it, I love that yeah Mark. it's a I, really really good I love aspect. that absolutely it's about collaboration yeah and um, and I, I noticed that uh, a lot of the uh, uh, startup American companies are right into that even though mm. the podcasters in America you'll notice that they all support each other's podcasts mm. and they feature on it and they mm. share information. Uh, and ideas is just like the flow of energy. The more you share it, the more the ideas come to you. But when you hold it as your own, yep. you know, and be Scrooge about it or frugal about it, they, your ideas stop. Mm. And uh, so I just want to, just for the sake of clarity then with meditation, mm. uh, you mentioned three, three forms of meditation. There's mm. mindfulness, which a lot of people don't see that as meditation, mind, mm. being mindful. Uh, there's what I, what I do in the morning. So I do two types, uh, visualisation meditation. Mm. And I'm not sure whether that's real meditation because I'm visualising. So my brain is imagining, you know, everything yep. that could go right in the day. So I'm yep. visualising my perfect day before it happens. And and then at night to, I do pranayama, you mm. know, which is just focusing on the breath. And that's just to shut everything down and calm down if you like. But that's not that, – is that – two of the types of meditation you mentioned, because the third is transcendental, and we'll talk mm. about that. But uh, are those uh, two exactly what you were talking about earlier? Or Yeah. Well, the, the three I mentioned um, from um, science are basically like the broad categories. Yes. So the analogy that also that um, has been used, um, Maharishi particularly, is that we th- when we think of the mind, we think of an ocean. So on the surface of an ocean, we have waves, dynamic waves, sometimes turbulent waves, you know, waves crashing into each other. And we associate this with the conscious level of the mind. You know, we're at work, we're busy, lots on, what are we going to do later on in the day, what are the kids doing? We've got to, got to, got to mind. You know, my colleague in the US, Bob Roth, talks about. And so this is where we're, we're concentrating or we're focusing on something. The science shows we predominantly beta brainwaves or gamma brainwaves, so we're active. And so if we're visualisation or affirmations, it's often we're activating the mind. Perfectly valid. You know, there's times in the day when it's good to focus on things and do things. If we can just duck under the waves so we're not getting in the turbulence of the thinking mind, this is like open monitoring. So that's more the mindfulness. So in mindfulness, the instruction is we're not trying to control the thoughts which is why often people have a problem with meditation because they think, ah, oh, I can't meditate, you know, I can't stop my thoughts, you know, I can't sit still for five minutes, let alone stop my thoughts. Mm. And so mindfulness brings out the point that the idea is not to stop the thoughts. We just observe them dispassionately and in that process we don't get caught up by them so much. So it's a little bit like we duck under the waves and we're viewing the waves from beneath the ocean surface, yes. Yeah. So, so there's more calm, as the science shows. Blood pressure comes down a bit, less anxious. Beautiful. And then the third type is what's called automatic self-transcendence, where we actually use something to allow the mind to just drop right to the bottom of the ocean. And that's a mantra or a sound that has a certain vibration or resonance that allows an individual's physiology to just drop right down to the bottom of the ocean. And that's where the mind completely settles down. Wow. And the bottom of the How ocean, do we of course. access that? That's, that's what I want to so – yeah. I'm aspiring to access that sort of uh, yeah. level. I have I – have, I think I have experienced it by accident a few times. Mm. And one – I remember one time I was on a plane mm. and I plugged in. I was actually listening to some music, mm. right, and it was birds in a forest and what have you. So I didn't mean to meditate. I didn't mean to. But there was this particular sound coming through 
that was just like a uh, like a singing bowl or something, but it was a particular frequency. Yeah. And uh, the flight was supposed to be an hour and a half, and honestly, I I opened my eyes. I thought it was ten minutes, ten minutes. Yeah. and it, we were landing. Yeah. And it felt like I'd slept for eight hours. Yeah. Beautiful. Is that is that was that that's, was that what I accessed or what was that's, that? That's basically an experience of transcending. Yeah. And a couple of things you mentioned there are really important. One was um, that you didn't try. So there was no expectation. You no, weren't looking no. for it. You weren't trying for it, which is what many people misunderstand about transcending is you've got to force it because that's our modern world. You know, if I can get something in a relaxed state, then if I really try, I'm going to get better <laughs> results. And that's the exact opposite yes. what happens. And so the other thing is, and the, and the ancient literature talks about 112 specific ways that we can transcend. And often they are things... Um, to do with nature. 112. Yeah. And music is one really powerful yes. one. You know, so music allows us to transcend. Watching a beautiful sunset, mm. you know, just watching kids playing, that sort of thing. Yes. Often gives some sense of transcending. And so then there are specific te- techniques and, you know, obviously I'm biased because I've done TM since I was 19. But TM is just a systematic way to produce that transcending and it does that through sound so sound is one of the most powerful ways to elicit transcending so the mantra is just a sound that allows it's like dropping an anchor from the boat so from the surface level waves it's just like the anchor takes you down to that level that sound that particular sound what type of sounds is it uh, well it's chosen um depending on your individual nervous system or your physiology so a teacher give you that so it's not like a whale sound or a no, yeah no no it's not but um yeah no it's really really so do you, powerful. you say the sound out aloud to yourself or is it a mental sound um yeah now it's a mental sound and that's what you're what you learn on the course so tm and that's why different techniques are really good because mindfulness and these um focused attention pretty much anyone can do straight away you know you can go on the internet you can get books really easy you mentioned cheap. bob bob Roth, is mm. it? now he's uh, he's pretty famous, isn't he, in this space? So, uh, and I I came across a YouTube video where you were on stage with him. Is that is that right? You shared the stage with him. Yeah. Uh, well, when um, was that? And what was that all about? Um, so Bob Roth is a very long term teacher of transcendental meditation yes. in America, and he heads up what's called the David Lynch Foundation. So David Lynch, uh, many listeners may know, Hollywood film director who'd also done TM for about 40-odd years and loved it. And he spoke about how his ability to survive in Hollywood was a lot to do with his daily meditation practice and his creativity and his ability. And so about 15 years ago, they had this desire that they wanted to help people suffering trauma to be able to do TM, basically, because it's shown that for people that are really high-level trauma, whether it's domestic violence or um, war veterans coming back with post-traumatic stress or kids from violent backgrounds, then this transcending in TM is one of the quickest ways and most effective to get them beyond that trauma. So, um, so I head up that foundation in Australia. So Bob oh, and okay. I sort of work very, very yep, closely yep. to sort of do events around the so where David can Lynch people Foundation. Find that. Um organization in australia what what's the website yeah so in australia it's davidlynchfoundation.org.au um so we've been going for about 18 months and what what will they find on that uh uh, uh, teachers to do tm um that's largely around what the foundation's work is so we fundraise to enable these traumatized groups to learn tm there's also um tm.org.au which has more the specifics on that's the about the meditation, meditation yep. technique and where to do courses. So TM's done as a four-day course, about a ninety minutes a day with a teacher that gives you your particular mantra and how to use it, and then they have a lifetime. That sounds fascinating. Up, I, so, I, yeah. yeah, it's something that I want to try, and I think uh, we've spoken about it before, and I completely mm. forgot about it. So I'm I'm so glad you raised it again. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. The world of constant distraction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, I, I also want to – so we've talked about fuel and food, air, sunshine, water. We've talked about the flow of air and the water is critical. 
Um, now, we talked a little bit about uh, movement and the importance of the breath. I do want to talk about yoga as well. Mm. Uh, well, you mentioned that uh, when it comes to exercise, the three critical parts is strength training, aerobic, but also flexibility and suppleness. Uh, and, um, and the third pillar is the recharge. Mm. And uh, there we talked about sleep, meditation, on that recharge, there's a, there's a third thing that you talk about, and it sounds fascinating. It's called forest bathing, but mm. I want you to explain it because every time I've seen it on social media, it's always some beautiful lady you <laughs> yeah. know, with the sunshine <laughs> in a forest. And I'm thinking, that's not me. I, I, <laughs> so what is it really? Because, you know, what you see on social media is just so um, – uh, you know, unreal, right? Yeah, yeah. So what is forest bathing and is it something that a, you know, a hardcore corporate guy, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, is, will realistically do? And what, what are the benefits? What yeah. is it and what are the benefits? Well, the beauty of it is that it's perfect for your hardcore corporate types because you actually almost don't have to do anything. Nature does all the work and it, it actually beautifully brings back everything we discussed from the start. You know, we spoke about space, air, fire, water, and earth. So we've covered yes. the first four, yes. but the fifth element is earth. And so preceding forest bathing, over the last f- 10 years really, I've been writing about it, but the last four or five years, an amazing amount of science has shown that we humans are disconnected from the earth, much to our detriment. You spoke about inflammation earlier. Yes. And 90%, 90 plus percent of researchers around the world tend to suggest that our chronic western illnesses are based on or at least aggravated by inflammation in the body and when you ask people what's the best way to reduce inflammation they'll tell you things about goji berries from the himalayas or eating your fruit and vegetables and uh, and turmeric (laughs) and red wine and dark chocolate but by far the number one source of antioxidants and anti-inflammation on the planet is the planet itself which is why traditional cultures, Native American cultures, indigenous cultures that sleep on the ground, walk barefoot on the ground a lot more. They don't live in work and high-rise buildings. Yes, yes. They have less than or over 90% less of our chronic inflammatory illnesses. And so the science is now bearing that out. When we actually take our shoes and socks off occasionally or we connect to the ground, We literally get an influx of negatively charged ions that come into the human body, douse the inflammatory fires that line our tissues, and the clinical evidence is suggesting it's probably why people that now ground themselves or earth themselves more, less pain in the body, improvement in most blood profiles in the physiology, and significantly, significantly improved quality and quantity of sleep. Mate, that's incredible. So you're saying this is the most powerful anti-inflammatory antioxidant on the planet. Absolutely. And it's free. The, the earth itself yes. is like a super battery yes. of negatively charged ions. Okay. And so, yeah, when we connect to it, people that go gardening yes. you know, in the soil, when we just take our shoes and socks off occasionally and walk down the beach on the wet sand rather than the asphalt escarpment, or we go and have lunch in a park, or you know, we come back to busy hardcore corporate people just going outside and having lunch in the park on their weekends, taking the shoes and socks off, you know, end of the day, having a red wine as your relaxing end of the day ritual, have it outside, connect to the earth, not taking you any more time out of your day, doesn't cost you any more money, but huge, huge benefits. And so forest bathing is just really an extension of that that brings together all the benefits of Space, air, fire, water, and earth. And so what the research over the last 12 to 18 months has shown is that just simply being in a natural environment, what they call nature immersion, so we go out into a nice park or we're in a forest or the woods or just a natural environment, the essential oils that we go and pay money for at our health food shop or our pharmacy that are just concentrated Oils that come from trees and plants, we now know that those trees and plants emit these essential oils or little chemicals from their um, pores of their skin, like we emit pheromones of the human bodies, that actually 
calm the human nervous system, stimulate mental thinking. Did not think of that. Mm. Absolutely. And that's in the air around us when you're in the forest or in the bush. Natural environment. You know, a lot of my running, a lot of my training is in the the Karingai Chase National Park and it's a Mm. trail run. Mm. And I always feel incredible after it. Mm. Well, this is exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking perfect. it's the exercise, so it's the it's the essential oils that are flowing. Well, this around. is exactly the point of forest bathing, and this is the trend. So there's a global health summit that yes. do some fantastic work in the health space, and so the big trends that are coming are what's called green exercise. So yes, we know exercise is good for us, but running on the treadmill in the gym will still do certain good things for the heart and lungs and the physiology but doing the same running in nature or going hiking or anything like that significantly more benefits i always suspected that because i always feel stressed after a workout in a gym with artificial lighting and on a treadmill i mean we weren't born to you know that's uh, you're just reacting to something you're not proactively you Mm. know walking and uh, that's, that, that is incredible. That is, mm. The problem is a lot of people living in the cities, how do they find, you know, a, a good friend of mine owns a business in um, Victoria. You may have even met her, Sandy Cummins. She owns a place called An Acre of Roses. Mm-hmm. And so she has all these cabins for, you know, uh, corporate executives who are wired to go there and mm. uh, detox and rejuvenate. And she takes them on... Forest bathing uh, expeditions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, have you heard of Acre of Roses? Or? I haven't, but I yeah. just heard um, someone told me the other day there's now in the Melbourne Botanic Gardens forest bathing um, expeditions you can do. There's In fact, there's a global institute of forest bathing today. San Francisco has a forest bathing club yes. where people meet. Um, doctors in Scotland can now prescribe time in nature as a prescriptive medicine instead of giving you a pharmaceutical oh, drug. That is so refreshing. Yeah, it's great. That Japan is. now has 62 designated woods, they're called. So basically a non-profit organisation has brought up these parts of forests where they're set aside for therapeutic benefits that people just go and heal. And that's what an the amazing beauty. time we live in. It's this amazing. is great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Look back on the 70s, 80s and 90s and how... You know, mm. humans really destroyed the planet and mm. our idea of good health was in a pill, mm. you know. Uh, it's just so refreshing. It's so exciting. I'm actually going to be in San Francisco Beautiful. and I might actually look up that organisation. What was the name of it again? San Francisco Forest Bathing Club. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. But your other point is is the real key is that there are, there's corporates out there that work in a polluted city, you know, early morning to late can they do and i look i love going to the gym i usually do my weight training at a gym but i try and do all my cardiovascular outside so i'll jog in the bush and i'll go hiking and all that sort of stuff go down the beach but what they can do and what they're calling now is biophilic design so it's basically if you can't get to nature bring it to you okay so as much as you can in in office places and workplaces you know plants so bring in some greenery, you know, some ferns or some spider plants. They're really great for purifying the air. Um, and then on things like lunch breaks, just trying to get out of the office, you know, just every city's got at least some sort of park you can do. Um, and then really maximising their weekend time. So weekend time is a real time to get back to nature. So instead of having the birthday party with their friends at 10 o'clock at night in a stuffy restaurant, you know, you have the big picnic, you know, out in the park and drink and eat all afternoon, all that sort of thing. Great that's, for the kids. That's exactly what Katrina and I are doing now. Mm. Most of our social gatherings used to be at night. Yeah. But we're telling people now, no, it's lunchtime. Lunch. And they're re- really surprised. Oh, it's not a nighttime, you know, mm. thing. So no, it's sunshine, it's family, it's yep. everyone. Kids. Yeah, kids. Yep. Which is Fresh what we had at Upgrade Your Life, if you recall. Perfect. It was, uh, you know, it was so unconference. Yeah, it wasn't networking; it was connecting, and yeah. you can only do that when you have all ages and Absolutely. and all types there. Yeah, that is. This is really exciting. I, I love the world we're living in at the moment because yeah. I feel like we are on the cusp of something. And the way you explained it, it's really the ne- next year of consciousness. And absolutely, and uh, yeah. yeah, the mind um, 
uh, boggles as to where we're going to end up in this and hopefully in a really good place. Hopefully all these things will make their way to the uh, politicians in power. And <laughs> they will, definitely, yeah. You know, yeah. There's a, there's a, we're on the dawn of a really great time for humanity and they've, they've predicted that for a long time and, and uh, in the Vedic tradition they have a science um, which goes into that and they're suggesting, yeah, by the end of this year, this year's still going to be pretty turbulent, you know, America and a lot of sort of terrorism and climate stuff, really? you know, we're seeing yeah. earthquakes, and which is basically, from one perspective, just nature trying to come back into balance. But from next year, there's a real big swing to more sort of spiritual pursuits and conscious activities and, yeah, so politicians will turn around and it's a really good time. We don't often hear about it in the, yes. in the media because it tends to focus on what's Negative, not good, yeah. but there's a whole amazing things that are happening in the world and, uh, yeah, great time to, to be alive. Fantastic, fantastic. Mm. Um, it's been really great uh, seeing you again, Mark, and thank you very much for your time. And uh, I know you've got so many speaking gigs and you travel a lot these days. Um, yeah, one, uh, uh, one thing I caught up with Dr. Fred recently, and I, I think it was him that said he uh, either visited you or, and he said you, you live very minimalistic. Mm. Yeah, and he loved that. And I, I love that as well. That's one of my goals because when I look around my room or my office or whatever, I just, it's just so much clutter. Yeah. You know, can, uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's also on the verge, you know, this uh, movement, minimalist movement. Yeah. Is that uh, something you consciously adopted or is that just innately what you gravitated towards? Yeah, really funny actually because in parts of my life I – consciously do it um but where i'm living i've actually i was in sydney for 17 years and i moved back to melbourne a little over 12 months ago and so the idea was to buy some land buy a house yes. and eventually knock it down and rebuild so um i was i'm renting basically and i just got a place that had a six month lease because the idea was that it's going to be temporary then i'm going to buy the yes. house and so that uh, the apartment i'm in is completely minimalist you know it's like got nothing because i keep thinking no, he's doing it up and putting nice things in because I'm going to... Yes. And so that's sort of... Um, that was just the way it's happened. But um, generally I don't go to extremes. So you extremes. ended up loving it. Well, I, yeah, I do like it. it is yeah, very, this is a great it way to live. Easy. But I, I probably, once I get into the house, I probably will put more stuff in it and I'll have to have that sort of conscious awareness of not letting it go too far and things getting too cluttered because, um, yeah, so I tend to find the like to find the balance. I think it's nice to be surrounded by things we... We enjoy, you know, and things that give us joy and pleasure, whether it's paintings or meaningful TV, things. Meaningful so, things yeah. But, yeah, just not going too far where it gets Cause the Japanese, the Japanese have a uh, word for this and the Danish, I mm. think. Danish call it heek, I think. Heek. Mm, okay, yeah, nice. Uh, I forget what the uh, Japanese call it. Um, mm. But it's a certain way of minimalistic living that uh, also de-stresses. Because yep. one of the things you mentioned earlier was that uh, one of the biggest – reasons why we're distracted we don't digest we don't breathe properly you know we don't sleep properly is is stress Mm. and uh, i'm just wondering how much of that stress you know is self-inflicted because well a lot a lot of it's self-inflicted yeah um but uh from just the clutter that we bring into our lives uh and in terms of material things Mm. um well it's a beautiful way to to round things off basically because Again, what we started with was space, air, fire, water, and earth. Yes. And one we haven't touched on really is space. And space is very easily overlooked because, again, we're, we tend to focus on what we can see and touch and what's concrete and real. But the traditional understanding was everything is contained in space. It's the container. And one of my favourite quotes ever is one by Claude Debussy, and he says, music is the space between the notes. If all you have is the notes, it's just a jumbled mess. There's no beautiful music. That's a beautiful So quote. you need the space right. yeah. between it. And our lives are exactly the same. And so commonly, particularly our Western culture, it's to get the house and to have the work and we just put stuff in it. But it's this principle of, yeah, just clearing the space every now and then is really, really good for our health because that's what we do. And the science on business workplaces shows this. When you declutter, 
you have less stuff on your desk, then you think more clearly. You're more productive. You're more efficient. You make better decisions. And so, yeah, just doing a – I do it as a seasonal detox, which is, you know, your home, your workplace, you just do a declutter. It's like a spring clean at the start of yeah. each season. That's a really good practical One of our hack. faculty members uh, who you met at Upgrade Your Life was Joachim Herman. Mm. He, yeah. Uh, he does uh, a spring clean every year, but it's not just a spring clean in the way we think about it. It's an energy clearing yeah. thing, and it's a for him, it's a, almost a, like a religious experience. And when yeah. he described it to me, it was, just sounded mm. fascinating. But it's about decluttering and getting rid of the old, and because yeah. springtime is a rebirth. Beautiful, and um, yeah, and he'll uh, he'll be joining us uh, next year, and uh, I understand you'll be coming next year as well. Absolutely. Well, you spoke about my. My speaking, and I do. I am very grateful that I do get to speak to a lot of businesses and companies and groups um, all around the world, Australia particularly. But my f- my favourite event last year, absolutely hand on heart, and I'm sure it's going to be next year, is is your event because it's not just a you know walk in, do your talk, how you going, leave, which is still nice. I enjoy it, but yeah, there's such a a community feel to it. The families are there, you know, the three days, so you really get to immerse in it. And um, and, and the holistic nature of your event, you know, this is really resonates with me that it's not just about health, it's not just about wealth, it's about all these different eight areas that, that we need for a really, truly abundant and happy life. That um, So I can't wait for next January, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people can't wait too because a lot of uh, – uh, people that uh, did attend that I see every now and then, they say, oh, is Mark coming next year? I said, yes, <laughs> oh, yes he was my favourite. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone cool. had their favourites, you know. Yeah, yeah. And there's nice. a lot of people in my office that attended as well that are big fans. Cool. I, I noticed you bumped into Blake yeah. out there. And, yeah, he uh, he rated you really highly. He just yeah, he loved your message. And uh, uh, really looking forward. Will your book be out by then? Um, probably, well, it'll be close, but probably just after that. I would say. Okay. I've just got a podcast that's coming out um, almost as What's we speak. Called? So it's also called Ancient Wisdom for Modern Health. Um, Beautiful. So, yeah, we've got uh, quite a few episodes up and there'll be more to, oh, more please, to come. So please tell um, us when, that's, when that goes live because if yeah. it's anything like our talk today, it's going to be my go-to for anything I don't know because I read a lot and mm. I absorb a lot and there's a lot of things you said today that are just completely fascinating and I'll be definitely reading more into it. And, look, I hope a lot of people uh, listening to this got a lot of uh, – I, I think this is one of the podcasts that I'll probably listen to twice <laughs> <laughs> and three times and, and take notes. And a lot of what you said is just – it's innate. It's um, – I think my biggest takeaway from this podcast is that you don't have to try too hard. We yeah. live in an era where everyone's trying too hard, mm. right? And we are innately, you know, happy and energetic if we just get rid of the, mm. you know, the stuff that just dampens uh, uh, that, you know, innate wisdom. And there is something, and I want to finish on this. You, you mentioned that inner intelligence, and a lot of people forget that we are co-creators, aren't mm. we? We have people don't realize that when we take in food, this intelligence inside of us, this uh, this design or this code turns mm. that food into cells, mm. whether it's eye cells. I think it was Alessandro Edwards last year that mentioned that our body, uh, not one cell in our body remains after two years. We're mm. completely rebuilt. Yep. So everything you eat, everything you see through your eyes, everything you hear through your ears, every energy you absorb is making you up as a person. Mm. And we need to respect that inner intelligence and tap into it and see ourselves as co-creators. Beautiful. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yep. So thank you very much. That was my biggest takeaway from today. And it was a highlight uh, definitely of my week, <laughs> Mark, being, uh, being with you. So thank you very much. Thank you, Sam. And uh, yeah, an absolute pleasure. And I uh, look forward to connecting more throughout the year. And any way we can help the community, um, hit us up, you know, the website or anything else. We really, really love the community and whatever we can do to, to serve it. Um, it would be great. my honour. That's great because I will be attending uh, quite a few things. I mentioned uh, uh, some of the uh, industry bodies have uh, uh, now asked a higher branch to do workshops mm. for them. And uh, uh, Pete actually uh, mentioned because the workshop's quite detailed and we're now you know, um, 
designing it and Pete said you have to get Mark at this <laughs> and I thought well I have to pin him down with his uh, schedule because the hardest thing with uh, these events you know is organizing the dates but uh, we'll take this offline anyway uh, thank you again and that's goodbye from uh, Sam and Mark at a high branch podcast thank you <laughs>